When I studied kinesiology, I had learned a number of things about the human body, different systems, of course, the musculoskeletal system. But one area I definitely did not touch on was a system called the endocrine system, which is all about our hormones. I read a book recently called Woman Code, and it really changed my perspective of what women have to go through. The inconsistency, the fluctuations in hormones that men just don't have to experience. And so I, for the longest time, I wanted to talk to my wife about this and just get a better understanding and share it with all of you guys. So I hope you enjoy this episode. everyone episode 11 welcome back to two nobodies i'm rupesh patel and i'm really excited today because i have my very first guest um, but before we start i just want to thank everyone who has been listening to two nobodies we are going to start posting on youtube which i'm really excited about and when we have more and more guests we'll be doing more we'll start to do video episodes as well kyle's going to join us a little bit later in the episode but to start off, I want to welcome my first guest. Her name is Dr. Michelle Patel. She's a naturopathic doctor practicing here in Edmonton. She did a bachelor's of kinesiology in science at the University of Waterloo, a master's of science in neuroscience and kinesiology as well at the University of Waterloo. And then she did a doctor of naturopathic medicine at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. She also happens to be my wife, which I'm, and she's one of the smartest people I know. So welcome, honey. Welcome to the episode. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you could be here. You're like our number one fan, like our groupie. So we finally get to have you on. How does it feel? Um, it's actually very, very exciting. Um, thank you for inviting me into your creative space. Well, my creative space is a hole in our basement, so... <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cold down here. <laughs> it is cold down here. I told Michelle that she can't have her blanket around us because it would just mess up the sound, and Kyle would be furious when he tries to edit this. So, but nevertheless, I'm glad you're joining us. Um, we've talked about a little bit what, what I wanted to focus the episode on. Uh, as you know... We, as you know, I've been reading this book, or I read this book called Woman Code, mm -hmm. and I don't even know how it kind of came up. I was just YouTubing. Um, down the YouTube rabbit hole. Exactly. Down the YouTube rabbit hole and came across stuff about hormones and uh, this person who wrote the book called Woman Code. What is her name? Oh, Alyssa Vitti is her name. And I might have mentioned it on a previous episode as well. And it was just fascinating. Every man out there, every partner to to uh, um, every every partner should should read this book. It was it was just fascinating to learn about hormones and what they are, and the impact the hormones have on our body, and then learning about a woman's cycle and just what goes on and 
what are some, you know, kind of typical behaviors and how women can kind of be aligned with their cycle and how perhaps that could improve their lives. And then also just like learning those things. It's like, oh my goodness, like you just, I just had a, just a much greater appreciation for, for what women go through. And I know that sounds maybe in, maybe that sounds like, oh, I should, should have already understood that. And, you know, you kind of understand that, understand that from like a high level that there obviously are differences, but just understanding the intricacies just made it, it just allowed me to appreciate it a lot more. So as I was reading this, I was like, oh, I have to, I have to talk to Michelle about this because, you know, in your field, I know you've talked about people who have hormonal imbalances and having to work with these patients. And so I just wanted to bring you on and I'm glad you did because we can talk about sort of the basics and, and, and kind of go from there. Well, I think you, you can cut yourself some slack because when it comes to female hormones, a lot of women don't even know what's going on. Is that right? Yeah. A lot of women don't even know about their hormones, how they cycle. So, um, you, I just really appreciate you for, you know, like finding some more information about it, getting to understand it a little bit more, um, so that you can understand your partner a bit more. Like, I don't know if there's a lot of guys who would do that. Well, you guys heard it first. <laughs> I'm looking pretty good. I have a pretty big smile on my face. No, but thank you. I mean, I think, um, I'm just, generally curious but um you know if you think about it like when we were I don't know what your experience was in high school or middle school I can't even remember what the first time I had a sex ed course it may have been like grade six when you kind of learn a little bit of anatomy Mm -hmm. and then high school um I remember freaking out my dad because I brought home a picture of a vagina and just (laughs) was just like so this is this part and this part and Here's an East Indian man, just like, he just, I, I don't even know what his reaction was, but it got really, really quiet. <laughs> and so I was probably testing the boundaries of our relationship. Um, and I don't know what he was thinking, to be honest. We never followed up on that conversation. Uh, but yeah, you learn the female anatomy, you, you kind of learn about safe sex and that was really the end of it. You didn't like, you knew obviously yeah, anatomical differences didn't learn anything about hormones. I mean, generally I think you start learning that men have more testosterone and that has an influence on their behavior and, and, and such, and, and women have more estrogen, but I feel like there's no, I feel like there's so much more, especially after I read that book. Um, it just opened my eyes. And I know you, you and I have kind of talked about these things. Um, but what was your experience like in high school? Um, well, first of all, let me just say, knowing your dad, he probably would have turned that conversation into something spiritual. <laughs> this is a lotus flower. I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, God, if he went that direction, I don't even know what I would have done. <laughs> Maybe a, you would have been the silent one. I probably I probably would have, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so I remember my very first sex ed class. I was in actually, I was actually in grade five. So what are you, 10? Mm-hmm. Around 10, yeah. 10, 11. 10, 11, yeah. Yeah. I don't quite remember how much detail it went into. I definitely remember learning about the um, the female anatomy versus male anatomy. Um, what eventually we could expect as, as females, um, you know, period. That was gonna that was gonna be coming up soon. And when you put a penis and a vagina together, what 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 happens, right? What comes out? Like that's how babies are made, kind of thing. Right, without actually fully understanding what really yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. And then I remember I can't quite remember if did we do sex ed every year after that? A little bit of sex ed? I think so, but it was like such a small area or there was, uh, it was such a short amount of time. Like I remember it being part of like gym class. Yes. And the girls were split away from the boys and the girls were taught by a female teacher and the boys were taken away into their own separate room and they were taught their half by... A male teacher. That's what I remember in I remember grade eight, thing. grade yeah. seven, grade eight. I wonder if it's yeah. changed because I know like, I mean, I don't know for many other parts of the world, but, you know, there's certain parts of Canada that have, sort of, have tried to advance their their sex ed curriculum. And it's certainly mm-hmm. that's been a controversial thing, mm-hmm. but it feels like it should have evolved from, from when we took yeah. it anyways. I think when we took it every year, you learned a little bit more. Yeah. So, yeah. for example, I remember specifically in grade eight, they taught us how to put a condom on a banana. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, who knows what happened after that? I don't remember. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it was uh, definitely a different time, but we definitely didn't talk about hormones. I don't remember any of that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can't quite remember either. So now take me to, as a naturopathic doctor, first of all, we got to talk about what a naturopathic doctor is. Not because, of course, I know what a naturopathic doctor is, but I get this question from colleagues and peers Mm -hmm. uh, many times because people just, like, people will nod, oh yeah, your wife is a naturopathic doctor, and then I always follow up with, do you actually know what that means? Yeah. And then they're like, no. So do you want to maybe just give a little bit of a little bit of what an ND does, a little bit of a 101? Sure. So naturopathic doctors, uh, we are healthcare professionals. Um, we are educated in, and trained at accredited naturopathic medical schools. So the programming, what that looks like, it is a four-year program. Um, you do have to have an undergraduate degree leading into it with pre-medical sciences. In the program, we do learn a lot of the basic science sciences that are taught in conventional medical school. So anatomy, physiology, biochemistry. Um, and that, we, that sounds like a lot of the same things that 
it would happen in medical school like exactly the first intro yeah okay yeah, yeah yeah um and on top of that we learn about our naturopathic ways to to help treat people um so we have a lot of different modalities that we can use um some of them being nutrition nutraceuticals botanical medicine so the use of plants and herbs What's a, what's a nutraceutical? I've heard that term more and more. Mm-hmm. So essentially that's just like supplements. Okay. So using your vitamins and your nutrients um, to just more so in a, in a therapeutic dose. So a higher dose. Higher dosages, yes. Yeah, so you can have um, um, just better results okay. depending okay. on what you're treating. Um, so naturopathic doctors, we diagnose, we prevent, and we treat acute and chronic illnesses, um, essentially just to restore optimal health for people, um, rather than just suppressing symptoms, um, we like to identify the underlying cause of an illness or why somebody's feeling the way they are. And we call we call this the root cause, and that's ideally where we are treating. That's like super fascinating, and I know you've mm-hmm. talked to me about some some of your patients and some of the cases, and and just you know as you're trying to dig, it's like a detective work, right? I mean, it is probably with any sort of health practitioner, of course, but it's like yeah. you're peeling the layers of an onion, trying to get to the the root of it, and and. And then seeing, okay, how you can kind of move forward from there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, certainly there's a difference from what you learn in school versus when you get out and practice, because there's never a textbook case that just walks through your door. Right. Right. So it's never, um, this person has diabetes and only diabetes. There's always something always tends to be something more kind of thing right so it really helps when you can get get to the root cause of why somebody's feeling the way they are feeling Um, instead of just that bandage approach I mean sometimes it's necessary to do that bandage approach while you're working on that root cause because usually the root cause is something very chronic long long um Mm. Uh, term kind of thing, right? Somebody's been dealing with it for years. So you can kind of assume if it's something chronic and they've had it for years, it's probably might even take just as long to to get them feeling better, right? I feel like be, for sure because of like, you know, it probably takes work on the part of patients, right? Like I would think that compliance is probably a big challenge for an ND. It is, right? Because we know that eating healthy, exercising, having healthy lifestyle habits are a huge key to how we feel. And habits are hard to change. So a lot of what we do is around lifestyle counseling as well. Um, We also like to do personalized treatments, right? So the example that I give is if I have two people, two separate individuals walking through my door and they have the same concern, for example, I don't know, acne, 
I'm going to end up treating those two people differently based on what their history shows me potential underlying causes, mm, right? Okay. Yep, yep. Yep. And we sh- and we do treat people holistically as well. So a lot of people come in with physical concerns and yes, we'll help with that, but there's also like a mental emotional component to every everybody. Right. So that's important too for their healing. It's like, uh, I mean, I know obviously medical doctors have to think about it in the same way, but just like the fact that you're going in with a very strong holistic approach, it's almost like you can't ignore, like if somebody, if there is, if there is a mental issue on top of a physical condition, because you're taking a holistic approach, you can't just say, okay, sort of one issue at a time because you, you know that that something if something's wrong with their mental health that it's it has an intersects with sort of the physical issue then yeah. you have to address it in you some can't, way you can't really separate the two you can't really separate different systems in the body i yeah. find that they're all connected right and that's what i found like when you know when i took kinesiology well we took it pretty much um at the same time kind of a year apart but just that systems approach, right? Like if if you've got um, if you've got an issue with your ankle, the problem might be residing at your hip, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so you got to kind of look up the link, right? And so that's sort of how I think it. So so take me to I know you know you did your bachelor's in science in kinesiology, mm-hmm. then you went into a master's, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of a neuroscience component. And then sort of what happened after that? Like when you're thinking about, okay, what's that next step? Were you interested in med school? Yes, I was. I was for a very, very long time. Um, so what made me want to be a naturopathic doctor? I guess I always had wanted to be a doctor, when I was, well, you know, when I was 10 years old, yeah. my dad passed away. Yeah. And pretty much since then, I had kind of put in the effort and kind of did what I had to do to get me to become a doctor, right? So um, I worked hard in school. I stepped up my grades. Um, and then I did what I had to do to you know, getting to university. My university choice was, you know, kinesiology, which is pretty much um, like a health science. Um, I was using that kind of as a stepping stone to get me to med school. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and then I was, I decided to do a master's because I was like, oh, it'll increase my chances of getting into med school because I wouldn't say that I, things came easy to me. Like I had to work really hard. I had to spend hours and hours studying. Like I wasn't one of those students that things just came really easy to me. I didn't have to work as hard. I had to work so hard. And so I thought maybe doing a master's will increase my chances of getting into medical school. So that's why I did that. And then I was nearing the end of my master's and this desire to want to be a medical doctor was starting to fade for me. 
And I just had to do some reflective work as to why. And it just, it wasn't sitting well with me just because the way I grew up, like I didn't grow up with naturopathic medicine. At this point in my life, I didn't even know that it existed. But I grew up just kind of, if I got sick, I would, you know, kind of listen to my body, take the rest that I needed. And I always got better. Um, I wasn't one to run to the doctor for antibiotics whenever I had a sniffle, right? Um, I just really listened to my body. And I always had this healthy mentality, this health mentality to want to eat healthy and and exercise. And my mom always told me that as soon as I came out, I was like eating fruit <laughs> and vegetables. And that sounds a, like our little girl, hey? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And, you know, if we were at a party or someone's house and there was on the table a fruit tray versus a cake, I mean, I would go to the fruit tray. 100%. Yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> For sure, that wasn't me. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, something about this um, medical school route was not sitting well with me. And so I was doing this reflective work and I was like thinking to myself, there's got to be some sort of, because I still wanted to be in health. I still wanted to help people. Gotta, there's got to be some sort of natural way to to heal people, right? So I literally got on Google and 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 typed in natural medicine or natural medical doctor or something along those terms, and the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto popped up. I read over their website, and it was an instant gut feeling. I have to do this. So I did what I had to do once again to to get into that program, and I got in. Now, yeah, I mean, and, and I remember when when we went on the tour, and and you just having that feeling, like you said, that yeah. gut feeling. Like I, I remember you just feeling like this is the place I need to be, right? Exactly. And and I'm just really happy to sort of see you uh, see that light go off in your head and, and seeing your eyes wide open. And I know the process was, process was difficult. I remember how many exams you had to have, like, what was it, like 13 exams and like, it was, um, 10 exams in seven days. Yeah. Um, in one of the semesters in first year. And that, those were like the science classes, right? Right. right? Yeah. The heavy duty science classes. Yeah. And Gosh. you had a you had a science background. Yeah. Like imagine those students who, you know, I think I don't know, like who may have not had a very strong science background. Like yeah. that would have been tough. Yep. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, not that's not to say that other professions don't have uh, similar challenges, but I just, I was just was I found it crazy just what you had to what you had to go through. I had never in my life up until CCNM, I had never pulled an all-nighter all right, right. to study. Yeah. And I did that multiple times going through that program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, so, so no, I think I, I appreciate you kind of uh, letting people know sort of uh, that journey because I think some people, I do get a question sometimes like, oh, well, why going, why did she go into naturopathic medicine or what's the appeal about it? So I thought, um, I'm glad, I'm glad you shared that because I think some others might find that uh, interesting as well. So now when you think about, okay, you talked about sort of the approach a naturopathic doctor takes a very sort of system view um, hormones comes up in your practice a lot, mm-hmm. right? And but I I think that people probably would benefit from just understanding like what the heck is a hormone? Like sure. why is it even important? Yeah, sure. So essentially, hormones are chemical messengers. They're the chemical messengers of our bodies. So um, the communicators. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's their job to deliver certain messages to specific cells, and then the cells kind of carry out that message or perform a certain task. Um, So you can kind of, to use a metaphor, so if our circulatory system is like, um, so the blood vessels in our body is like a a highway, Mm -hmm. the hormones are the cars kind of driving those highways, going to different destinations. Okay. Yeah. 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 And it's like, so, and then I guess the cells, it's like if they are receiving these neurotransmitters, um, maybe some of these cells only have like a parking spot for a a minivan or like a small car or something like that. Yeah. There's certain receptors, um, that kind of, um, you know, wave their little flags. I need you over here kind of thing. Right. So each hormone has a specific receptor on certain cells in the body that they attach to. And so by doing so, they help regulate certain biological activities within our bodies. Some of them being like growth and reproduction, uh, balancing water and electrolytes mm. and uh, energy use and storage. So um, metabolism right. kind of thing. So, I mean, these are all important things. For so sure. you can just see how important hormones are to our everyday functions. And so are there, are there, obviously there have to be certain places in the bodies and sorry, certain places in the body or organs that have to make these things, right? Mm-hmm. Like I would think maybe some parts in the brain or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are certain organs or glands um, that are responsible for making hormones, Um, so basically these organs make up what is called our endocrine system. Okay. So this is essentially the system that controls the hormones and tells your body what to do and when to do it. Um, and so there are some main organs within this system. One of them is the hypothalamus. So this is a a gland. It's located in your brain, like you mentioned, um, it uses information from your nervous system to determine when to tell other glands, such as um, the pituitary gland, which is another gland in your brain, um, to produce hormones. So pituitary is a, is a gland that produces a lot of hormones in the brain. And so the hypothalamus controls many processes in our body, um, some being like mood, um, hunger, and thirst, sleep patterns and sexual function as well. Um, And then 
The pituitary is about the size of a pea. I don't know if you remember from like a neuroanatomy lab. Um, whenever you we looked at um, a specimen of the brain, the pituitary was always missing. Do you remember that? No. You could only see the stalk of the pituitary because it sits in like this bony crevice inside the brain or yeah, inside the skull where every time you kind of try and take the brain out, it essentially gets damaged. Oh, well, it's so small too, right? It's so small, yes. I don't remember. I don't remember that. For some reason, I always thought it, oh, maybe I was thinking about a different spot, but no, that doesn't ring a bell, but that's interesting. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's little, but he has a really big job. He makes hormones that control several other glands, such as the thyroid gland, adrenal glands, the ovaries, and the testicles. Um, and it's in charge of many different functions, including how your body grows. So I understand, obviously. So, so what I'm hearing, obviously, these things all kind of work together. Is there sort of like a, a master out of those organs? Um, yeah, so that would be the guys up in your brain kind of controlling everything. So pituitary and, and the hypothalamus. hypothalamus. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, so now when you think about, so so cl clearly everyone should care about their hormones. Clearly everyone should kind of care about their hormones. Um, but when you think about like, should should men and women kind of care about different things like why should they even like why like tell me a little bit mo more about why men and women should care about the hormones but it looks like maybe i feel like i might have cut you off you look like you're gonna say some more oh i just was gonna mention a few of the other um endocrine glands There's that more? you were asked about yeah oh my goodness yeah. okay <laughs> So I mentioned there's the thyroid glands. So that one is kind of a butterfly-shaped gland. It sits right. at the front of your neck. Um, it's essentially responsible for your metabolism. Um, so You're this, telling me it's kind of like your thermostat. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of controls how your body uses energy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, similarly, like in the similar kind of areas, the parathyroid... So these are four tiny glands. They're actually not, they're actually about the size of a grain of rice. So I think they're kind of like the smallest ones. Um, and they control the level of calcium in your body. And you know, this is important for heart, kidney, bones, bones yeah. nervous system, right? You probably learn, remember learning the the mechanism behind like the sarcomere mm -hmm. with the calcium magnesium yeah i don't remember the details but i do remember something <laughs> about muscle a sarcomere contraction? sounds familiar yeah, yes, yeah 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 so it controls the calcium in your body um adrenal glands we have two of them they sit on top of our kidneys um and they're kind of known as the stress the stress glands right they they really respond to stress, but they also have some control in metabolism and blood pressure and sexual development as mm -hmm. well. Um, up, up back in the brain again is the, the pineal gland. Do you remember that one? Yeah. 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 Do you remember what that one no. does? <laughs> um, it manages your sleep cycle cause it releases melatonin, our sleep okay. hormone, okay. right? 
Um, so that's the hormone that call it causes us to feel sleepy. Yeah. Then there's the um, pancreas. So that's also part of your endocrine system. It also has an exocrine system role. So um, meaning it secretes other things besides hormones. So it'll secrete like its pancreatic juices in it, and that contains um, digestive enzymes in it to help break down food. But as a, um, an endocrine gland, it makes that hormone called insulin, mm -hmm. um, the one that controls our blood sugar levels. So we also have our sex organs. So for women, that would be the ovaries which produces sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And in men, that would be the testicles. They make sperm and release the hormone testosterone, um, which affects sperm production, muscle strength, and sex drive. I feel like you're taking me back to the wonderful time of my bachelor's and I'm learning a ton <laughs> in that regard, but you made it really sort of practical and, and I feel like it's, uh, it's way more intuitive than, than when I maybe learned about these things in school. Um, so appreciate that. Hopefully other people will find the same, <laughs> same thing. Well, no worries. So when, when, so coming back to this question about Clearly, we have to care about the endocrine system. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of th different functions that each of these organs have. Is there something sort of unique that, um, I don't know how to phrase this, I guess, but like that men and women sort of need to care about the endocrine system maybe differently or like why they should care? Or... Well, I mean, everyone should care about their hormones um, and proper, pro proper functioning of their endocrine system because... I mean, this system is so important to living a vital and, and healthy life. If your endocrine system isn't functioning properly, um, whether it's any of the, the organs that I mentioned previously, then you certainly won't be feeling very well. So someone once asked me, what would happen if I didn't have an endocrine system? <laughs> Um, I mean, the only answer to that really is you'd probably cease to be alive because, you know, you wouldn't be able to regulate blood pressure or blood sugar. You couldn't grow just so many things, right? So you can see why it is important to care about. So when it comes to your, when it comes to your patients, then I can't imagine they, or maybe they do like, do you have patients who come in and say, Hey, I feel like my estrogen is low or, or do they just bring up like a broader concern and you do your detective work to kind of get to the hormones? Yeah. So more so the latter, they're coming in mainly with symptoms, certain complaints. Um, and then yes, I do my detective work. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mainly see women in my practice. Like if I do see a male, it's likely because their wife has made them come in <laughs> nine <laughs> times out of 10. Um, so many times I'm already working with their wife and, and the wife will say to me, oh, I feel so much better. I need to bring in my husband. I'm like, yeah, sure. Bring them in. Right. Um, but with the women, I mean, they know they have hormones because they deal with them on a monthly basis. Sure. Right. Yeah. 
every time they get a period or if, if they're heading into menopause and they notice a change in their period or their moods or some other different symptom, um, they usually, usually will say to me, something's wrong with my hormones, right? Something's off, right? Um, but it's never, never usually more than that. So when I go through a health history with them, we identify certain symptoms. I can often take it a little bit further with them and say, you know, like, oh, you're experiencing this, this, and that, which can sometimes indicate too much estrogen or too much cortisol. And I just kind of explain those hormones to them. And then they're like, oh yeah, like that makes so much sense. And like, what are we going to do about it kind of thing, right? So, I mean... Yeah, it's mostly symptoms that they come come in with and they're not going to come in like, oh, my estrogen's too high, right? So what what's like the main concerns that you hear? Like what are those main symptoms, would you say? Um, usually, usually something around PMS. So um, for example, I'm just like so irritable, like my kids and my husband, like I feel so sorry for them or I got like major cramps, um, just really fatigued, um, fatigued all day long from morning till night, sleep doesn't make a difference. Um, yeah, so I mean, mainly they know about um, the sex hormones. Um, they know of insulin because everyone's pretty aware of diabetes. Um, some people know that cortisol is our stress hormone. Some people don't, right? So I see different different levels of, of knowledge on the topic. But part of being a naturopathic doctor in our, um, our oath um, that we take when we graduate is doctor as teacher. Mm. So um, that's why we spend so much time with our patients because education is key. Education is power, especially around somebody's own health, right? That's probably like, like I said, you've made it really intuitive. Like it's probably because you've had to do that many times, like just explain mm -hmm. these kind of things to your, mm -hmm. to your patients. Yeah. So I love it. I don't, it doesn't bother me to have to kind of explain things over and over again. Um, it just makes me a better practitioner as well. Um, because some people have different levels of understanding too. So it's, it's kind of like, well, if I explain it this way and they're still not getting it, well, I have to kind of figure out a different way of how, how to explain something to them. Yeah. So, yeah. So when you, when, so now going, thinking about the system as a whole, you have, I can't remember how many organs you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, but I can't imagine that they wouldn't, I don't know, come out of balance or um, that your endocrine system just wouldn't function properly or something like that. Like you brought the analogy of like the hormones are like the cars on the highway or whatever, right? You're going to have traffic jams. You're going to have people going the wrong way. I'm not saying that that exactly happens in the endocrine system. But so like hormones can come out of balance, right? Like what, mm -hmm. what would, what are causes of that? So certainly you're right. Hormones can be out of balance. 
Um, and when you have a hormonal imbalance, you can either have too much or too little of a, a certain hormone. And you have to keep in mind that the smallest change can have serious effects throughout your whole body um, because it's your endocrine system's job to keep those hormones in a, in a homeostasis, right? So it's a fine, a very, very fine balance. Now, some changes in hormones can naturally occur due to aging. So for example, um, as men age, testosterone naturally decreases. Um, same with women as they age, estrogen, progesterone, that naturally decreases. Okay. And, and, that's, and that's where you're going to get symptoms. Um, but other reasons could be stress. I mean, we all have stress, um, medications, birth control. Um, a big one is the environment mm. actually. Um, ex especially that when, probably surprises people. Hey, yeah. I mean, especially if you're exposed to endocrine disruptors, so these are chemicals that will interfere with the production, the release, and the tran the transport, or even a proper elimination of our of our hormones. Um, so these endocrine disruptors they can occur in the air that we breathe, um, the water that we drink, the food that we eat, and the products that we put on our bodies. So can I can I just regurgitate that for a second? Sure. Like in terms of just back to your analogy, I guess like. If the receptors are like the parking spots and maybe the receptor is supposed to be is saying only, uh, I don't know, only a Tesla can park here. But then all <laughs> of a sudden you get uh, a Toyota. No, no, no dig at the Toyotas. But mm -hmm. um, then the Toyota would kind of be like the disruptor. Exactly. So what these endocrine disruptors do is they mimic our naturally occurring hormones. Okay. Yeah. Um, and like you said, they can, they can find that parking spot and mimic. And this causes, can it cause an overproduction or an underproduction of the actual hormones? Um, so, I mean, some of the worst ones are actually found in uh, dry cleaning chemicals. So if you're somebody who gets their clothes dry cleaned, um, probably not a good idea. <laughs> a lot of them are found in skincare products. And what people don't realize is that whatever you put in your skin goes into your body. Mm. So I don't, I don't know. I don't remember an exact number, but there was a study done once of how many products a female puts on her body to kind of get ready for the day. And it was a large amount. Mm. And if you're not using natural based products, just think of, think of all that, that stuff that's going into your body, through your skin, into your blood, um, getting into these parking spots and kind of creating chaos yeah yeah what was that uh, remember that website that uh, when when Ovina was born and we were trying to figure out what kind of products we should use there was a website yeah. that um that's the environmental working group right and so maybe yeah. tell folks what what that website does or what it's about 
that's a really good website to go to if you're looking, if you want to see how clean something is. Um, if we're talking in terms of skincare products, you can actually um, look up the specific brand and product that you're looking for and it'll tell you exactly um it's like a rating scale of how clean it is um how many like carcinogens it has so that's that those are um things that can cause cancer right kind of thing yeah i remember they like they would even link whatever that the chemical or the carcinogen was they would link it back to studies or whatever and say mm-hmm. i remember it, it was pretty robust from what i saw oh, yeah. like it wasn't just like an yeah. arbitrary rating system like yeah. they really went into the science behind it and and every year they also put out a guide to sunscreens so it helps you because you know we have to wear sunscreen right um we have to slather our skin in it so let's kind of make sure we're picking the best one for us. But and then they every year they put out a list of the dirty dozen and the clean fifteen. Mm-hmm. So that's in reference to uh, pesticides used on fruits and vegetables, um, which pesticides are major endocrine disruptors as well. Right. So the dirty dozen are the top uh, twelve fruits and vegetables that are heavily sprayed in pesticides and then you have the clean 15 which are the top 15 fruits and vegetables that have um, um, very minimal if if any pesticides used to grow those yeah I remember um, Michelle and I when we when we first after we got married and we moved out here to Alberta and we'd go shopping we'd have there was an app that we would use like the clean mm-hmm. 50 and the dirty dozen. Mm-hmm. And we'd kind of try to shop by that because sometimes buying organic is pretty, it's, it's, it's not sometimes it is quite expensive. Yes. And so, especially here. Yeah. And so if you can buy the, the sort of clean 15, um, then or it may, it may not have to be organic. That's sort of just because again, we were trying to save our money and stuff, but yeah. And that's advice I always give to, my patients when we're talking about hormones and how to kind of clean up those endocrine disruptors organic is expensive and so if i if i encourage somebody to um purchase organic it would be okay follow this the dirty dozen the dirty dozen um make sure you're you're purchasing at least those ones organic right yeah so okay so just want to move on a little bit to you know these different things that cause hormone imbalance endocrine disruptors stress all that stuff there's got to be obviously a consequence to these things like there's got to be a result from Mm -hmm. from this hormone imbalance can you give like maybe a few examples or yeah so like i mentioned I see a lot of women in my practice, so a lot of them are coming in with um, some PMS or premenstrual syndrome um, complaints. Mm. So that could be changes in the mood, um, increased cramping, like debilitating cramping, okay. um, tender breasts, 
increased cravings. Um, so they're all symptoms of PMS. Um, weight gain. So these are the people who they're eating healthy, they're exercising, but they just can't seem to lose weight, right? Um, so there's always something hormonal going on there that we can address. Fatigue, right? Um, insomnia, mm. right? Because remember I mentioned like melatonin is our sleep hormone. Pineal um, gland. <laughs> um, cortisol has, a, has an effect on... Um, how we sleep. So we want to make sure that we're managing stress very well. Some people will come in with changes to skin or hair. So acne mm, okay. can indicate hormones. Um, anxiety, um, a big one is a low sex drive. Right. So I would say that these are probably the major concerns that are walking through my door. Okay, so when it comes to men and women, then, what are the main differences when it comes to the hormones? Well, there isn't too much of a difference between men and women uh, when it comes to their hormones. I mean, we all have the sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone. And some people are surprised to hear this. Some women are like, oh, I have testosterone. And some men are like, what? I have estrogen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it just, they differ in the amounts between the two sexes and, and slightly different functions as well. Um, both men, so for example, both men and women have what's called, um, follicle stimulating hormone or FSH and luteinizing hormone or LH. And so in a woman, follicle-stimulating stimulating hormone gets the follicle already, like matures it a little bit more. Um, and then luteinizing hormone causes the egg to kind of pop out of that follicle into the fallopian tube. But in men, the FSH actually stimu uh, stimulates the sperm production in the testes. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, so similar to... Uh, a woman's egg, right? Um, and then LH stimulates testosterone um, secretion by the testes. So, I mean, men make predominantly tes testosterone from the testes in, in, a, con in a more of a constant amount um, with smaller amounts of estrogen and progesterone um, either manufactured by the testes or the adrenal glands. Or sometimes it's converted in the fat or the liver from other precursor hormones such as cholesterol. Mm. Um, whereas women produce mainly estrogen and progesterone from their ovaries and more so in a cyclical pattern. So testosterone being more constant in males and then estrogen, progesterone more cyclical um, with a small amount of testosterone from the ovaries and the adrenal glands. So the word the word constant really stands out because when I read Woman Code, that's what that's what we're I don't know maybe empathy I don't know if empathy is the right word but for all the like for all the guys who are listening to this like as sort of Michelle said like our hormones don't fluctuate so much right mm -hmm. like they're always kind of living with the same kind of profile that'd be would that be fair to say 
yes. for the most part. Yes. Um, and that's why a lot of research is done on men because simply put, a lot of research is not done on women because our hormones fluctuate too much. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying that that's, that's obviously right, but I'm, I, yeah. I, that makes sense to me. So, so, okay. So that like, I mean, just the fact that there's fluctuations, maybe we can spend the last sort of 15 minutes talking about a woman's cycle because sure. there's, there's a lot going on from what I read in the book. Um, it's not just, you know, the bleeding at the end or when you're, mm-hmm. when your wife is on their period or your partner's on their period, there's so much more over the course of a month, let's mm-hmm. just say, right. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of maybe simplify for people in terms of, um, the different phases, I guess? Sure. So, um, <clears throat> so again, unlike the male, the female sex hormone levels fluctuate, um, in a specific pattern. This is controlled by the interaction of that pituitary gland in the brain with the ovary. Okay. Yeah. So the pituitary and the ovaries are talking to each other. Yeah. There's an, okay. Yeah. So on a woman's cycle can pretty much be broken up into four phases. The first one being the follicular or sometimes called the proliferative phase. That's followed by ovulation. Um, which is followed by the luteal phase, and then you have your menstrual phase or your period. So let me say yeah, follicular, ovulation, luteal, and menstrual. Yes. Okay. Got it. Okay. So in the follicular phase, that hypothalamus signals down to the pituitary gland Um to send that follicle-stimulating hormone to the ovaries, okay? This tells the ovaries to get ready to release an egg, okay? So several egg follicles will kind of continue their maturation. They'll start to mature. Um, Also during this phase, estrogen starts to increase because um, it starts to uh, thicken the uterus lining. Um, so that if an egg gets fertilized, you know, it has a nice comfy pillow to kind of land on. Um, Lots of times during this phase, women tend to have a lot more energy. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. During the follicular phase? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, this is a great time for women to kind of use that energy um, maybe to do some, you know, stimulating projects at home or at work. Um, you can use this energy to kind of exercise a little bit more intensely kind of thing. So, yeah, so that's the, that's the follicular phase and a good way for, for a woman to kind of feel this out too is so our vaginas produce mucus, okay? This is a natural occurrence. Um, and so depending on where you are in your in your cycle, the mucus changes as well. So we're in, when you're in your follicular phase, the mucus amount starts to, it starts to increase, mm-hmm. okay? And it's more white and it's a little bit sticky or tacky kind of feeling, okay? Um, and then we move into the ovulation phase. So what's going on hormonally there, 
there's a, basically a sharp rise in the FSH with an increase in the luteinizing hormone or the LH. And this stimulates one egg follicle to swell a little bit further and to burst open and to release an egg into that fallopian tube. Okay. If you remember that from like eighth grade sex yeah. ed, yeah. the, the bull horns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, estrogen continues to increase to further thicken that, that lining of the uterus. Sometimes when we ovulate, you can feel a little bit of pelvic pain or a little bit of cramping at the release of the egg, which is really interesting if you're very in tune with your body. Um, you can be like, oh, maybe I just released an egg there. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, we're not talking about a normal size chicken egg or something like that. Like These things are tidy. The fact that you I can I know, even... but they come with cramps. Fair. They can come with yeah. cramps. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess you're, if you didn't have, if you weren't have, you wouldn't have cramps during that first phase all of a sudden something happens so you may well and that's exactly it i do get women who are a little bit concerned like i'm having a little bit of cramping like it's not too intense but it's nowhere near my period i'm like well okay well what day are you on okay well that could be you ovulating right right so yeah it's definitely possible um so during this time, if we're going back to discussing mucus, <laughs> it increases I, even more. <laughs> yeah, I. this is taking the podcast to a whole new level. We're talking about vaginal mucus. Hey, people. well, you wanted to learn. Yes, yeah, so so. it's true. This is, yeah. <laughs> Fellas, I hope you're still on and you haven't signed off yet. Um, so <laughs> this mucus increases even more. The texture becomes more slippery and stretchy, kind of like egg whites. Because <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> you want a visual. Okay. Uh, like, I have breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> Not having eggs. Well, maybe we'll make some oatmeal. Yeah, or maybe oatmeal tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Um, and so you can you can also still have a lot of energy during this time as well. After that egg is released because ovulation is a very short window, um, a day or two, a couple of days, right? Um, then you move into... Okay, you got to say that there's an important part, ovulation period. Mm-hmm. Sex drive is high, right? Yeah, it definitely can increase during that. Um, it's kind of Mother Nature's way to ensure that the species continues. I mean, that's an important <laughs> behavior that we shouldn't just leave out. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Sure. <laughs> well, we're talking about mucus already. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so after that, we go into the luteal phase. So the follicle that released the egg is actually called the corpus luteum, hence the name luteal phase. And so it grows on the surface of the ovary, and this starts to secrete progesterone. So that hormone, right? And so progesterone rises, it signals the body to kind of keep that uterus intact. Mm. Um, Just in case that egg got fertilized and it's coming down to be implanted. Um, So kind of like almost a last ditch effort just in, mm -hmm. okay, yep. And so, but if the egg has not been fertilized, like the corpus luteum will kind of get reabsorbed into the body. Obviously, by doing this, progesterone is going to decrease. 
um, which kind of moves into the menstrual cycle because with a decrease in progesterone, then you start to shed your uterus lining. The female re- reproductive system is so much more dynamic than mm-hmm. the male reproductive system. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> something does nothing gets reabsorbed in my body <laughs> that I know of. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I could be wrong, but it doesn't. Like this sounds like a very dynamic. Like I'm having slight visualizations of what this could look like, and I don't imagine anything in my testicles reabsorbing themselves. But <laughs> nor would you want to. No, probably to. not. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So usually, from luteal to menstrual, energy is starting to be on the decline. Um, as the as the body gets ready to kind of shed that uterus lining, I mean, it takes a lot of energy to do that. So we need to kind of focus our energy on that. PMS symptoms can can start to occur as well. Maybe someone noticed some bloating or irritability, headaches or mood swings. Um, and then we're getting into that that menstrual cycle. So. Like I mentioned, progesterone drops off. Um, we shed that uter- uterine lining. Um, estrogen peaks a little bit and then drops off, essentially to signal the hypothalamus up in the brain to start preparing for another cycle. Mm. And yeah, it kind of goes over all over again. So, I mean, obviously, this is the part of the cycle that people probably know the most about course, yeah. because... You know, this this period, we can have cramps and back pain, fatigue, cravings. But overall, that entire cycle with the four phases can take anywhere from 28 to 35 days. Anything less than that or anything more than 35 days um, can indicate a con- um, maybe a little bit of a concern with uh, with these cyclical hormones that um, might need to be addressed. And each, I remember uh, reading that um, or learning that each phase is different in terms of the time, the length of time, mm-hmm. right? Like the mm-hmm. ovulation period is only like could be like a few days, perhaps, yeah. or and then the luteal it could be like two weeks or something. So it's like, even though, even though you're saying like 28, 35 days, um, in between there, those phases are, can be very different in terms of length. Yeah. And I mean, and every woman is different and this is where that individualized care comes in with naturopathic medicine. So lots of times I get women to track their cycles, um, so that we can figure out what these certain lengths are for each woman and determine, you know, where and how we need to treat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, hopefully people found this useful. I think we sometimes we maybe went off on a little bit of a, of a tangent and had a little fun there, but, but I, but I don't know, I found it just really interesting again, because it, for men, it's not nearly, not even close to being as dynamic and, and there's not nearly as many changes. And so, you know, I, I can't even imagine every week, you know, perhaps behaviors may be shifting or, or things happening that would change the way I show up or, you know, or having mm-hmm. an influence on that. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's consistent all the time. And so it just gave me a much greater appreciation for, 
for what you go through as mm -hmm. my partner. Um, but, but just overall what, uh, what women go through. So it leads me, I guess, to my sort of final question before I want to do a few, um, me rapid fire questions, if that's okay. Sure. So, so what would you say should be the takeaway for people from this, from this conversation? I guess for everyone, for everyone who's listening, I want them the first to be grateful for your endocrine system. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that for sure is. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're someone who says you're grateful at the end of the day, maybe you add it add it to the list tonight. <laughs> the other systems are just gonna crap out on you, though. They're gonna be pissed off. Yeah, no, but totally but you makes save sense. those for another day. Yeah, every day, just say you're grateful for a certain. Yeah, I mean, so treat it kindly by keeping yourself healthy. You know, and definitely avoid those end endocrine disruptors as much as possible. And I mean, we talked a lot about the women's hormones. So, I mean, for the women who are listening, um, get to know your cycle. Um, track your periods. Recognize when there are shifts in your mood, your energy, or any PMS symptoms. Track your mucus. So, I mean, you can do this by... You know, just wiping with, when you wipe with your toilet paper, you can just take a look at that toilet paper <laughs> before you throw it away. Um, if you're feeling more adventurous, you can um, even use your fingers, um, your your middle and your, your index finger, and after washing, of course, insert. And you can actually get a proper feel of the texture of, of the mucus on your fingers. And that can tell you a lot about where you are in your cycle, especially if you're trying to get pregnant too, right? So mm. if you know that ovulation mucus is a little bit more slippery and kind of that egg white consistency, then, you know, you're ovulating. So that's the time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Um, yeah, just overall get to know your body because, you know, information is power. And the more you know about yourself and what is normal for you, then that just allows you to recognize when something is not normal and you can seek the help you need to kind of fix that. Well, thank you for that. I, um, I, I think hopefully people um, find that last bit uh, even more useful. Um, I don't know if you have any comments on this, but... But I would say for me, the takeaway just from learning about this is not only the appreciation I have for you and what, what you know, all other women have to go through, um, but I feel like I've just been able to maybe not react to certain things, right? Like, you know, like you said, there may be certain phases of your cycle that make you more predisposed or, or allow you to be more likely to be irritated for instance mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right so i if i ever notice that in you and i have and and i know that maybe you're in perhaps the last phase like it allows me just to kind of manage myself a little bit better and not to react or whatever i don't know if that's a fair thing like do you think that goes too far but um but i mean I, as long as you're not following your partners around with right. like a notebook <laughs> and a pencil <laughs> and making notes and every time they have some sort of uh, mood shift you're like oh 
Is that your hormones? What color is your mucus today? (laughs) (laughs) I just really appreciate you wanting to learn more about um, women, women's health. So we're going to, we're going to end it right there. (laughs) Um, No, thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate you um, being on our, your honorary nobody today. So appreciate you being on, on the podcast. A couple of rapid fire questions, and then we probably should wrap this up. So I'm going to ask you, um, you obviously listened to our five for dinner episode Mm -hmm. uh, and sort of Kyle and I and what we said were the the, um, five people you would want to have a meal with dead or alive. Who would those five people be for you? So after I listened to that one, I was trying to think. Right. And I was giving it a lot of thought and I was like, oh, I could have like these really inspiring women. So you loved Kyle's. Like, actually, I got yeah. a lot of feedback from people who was like, Rapesh, I, I kind of realized, I kind of expected the ones that you had, but Kyle's were, yeah, Kyle's were cool. Kyle's yeah. a cool guy. Yeah. yeah. I know. I really, I ho- really hope he gets uh, Bo Miles to come on the <laughs> podcast for you guys. Like, he's so interesting. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so I was trying to think and I was like, yeah, I could think of like all these inspirational women a table full of women would be amazing so like Brene Brown Michelle Obama Glennon Doyle Oprah Mm. right but then I know for sure I would absolutely have one of those people be my dad Mm. 100% and um, I don't know just being the type of person I am I would rather have an intimate conversation with somebody that I really know. And so I think I would rather have five dinners with my dad. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. And I, and, and, you know, you, you definitely express some vulnerability with letting folks know that your, your dad had passed away when you were, when you were very, very young. And I know how much, um, he's, he's meant to you, even though you didn't have many years with him and, um, man, how I would love to watch that conversation, listen to that conversation and watch that and be a fly on the wall. Um, cause he, everything that you've told me about him and everything that your family has told me about him, he sounds like an incredible human being. And, and I feel very saddened that I'd never got to, got to meet him and, and learn, you know, learn a ton of things about him. I am not good with my hands and your dad is in, from what I understand was incredible. And so mm-hmm. that, and then just also what you've said about having the intimate conversations rather than it being a group kind of thing. Yes. That makes sense to me too, what I know about you. Yeah. I mean, like if I had that table of women, I probably would just have like Oprah asking all the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably just be sitting there listening and I mean, it would be a good, good inspiration. You wouldn't want to be interviewed by Oprah? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, um, uh, like deer caught in headlights. Yeah. <laughs> so I probably just being the person I am, I'm a really good listener. I would probably just sit back and listen to them. But I feel like I've read a lot of their books. I know so much already about what they would talk about that. Just to have that that time with my dad because I I've missed out on so much. I have a lot to learn 
about him because um, there's so much that I missed. And then just what he's missed out on, I would just want to absolutely share that with him. Mm. That's really sweet. And it would take at least five dinners or more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, we've had uh, everyone around the world for the most part has had a tough year with the, with the pandemic and it continues and it will continue for a little bit of time. Uh, but I found that it was kind of an opportunity, you know, if, if things generally went well for, for your health, I guess, for people to take advantage and maybe, um, improve themselves, perhaps, what would you say is something that maybe you worked on during this pandemic? Um, I mean, there wasn't really anything new that I worked on. I know a lot of people took on new projects. Um, but the pandemic has certainly allowed me the time and the focus to further projects that I had already started. Um, and maybe I wasn't working on them as much before. So I got into a little bit of art. Um, one of them, one of the bigger ones was gardening, which is like, a newfound passion for me. Um, and that passion just continues to grow. And certainly that pandemic had opened my eyes more to, you know, food security and, you know, the power that you gain by growing your own food, especially in a pandemic. And especially mm -hmm. at the beginning where, you know, people were hoarding toilet paper. It's like, oh, what if they... What if they start hoarding all the food, which I mean, did happen a little bit in some of the, I remember going to the grocery stores and there were some aisles that were pretty empty. Well, and sales of bidets went up too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other thing that I'm very proud on, um, that I worked on a lot over the past year is just myself. Mm. So like I mentioned, as an, as a naturopathic doctor, um, I like to treat holistically. So not just the physical, but the mental, emotional as well. And so I do a lot of the physical stuff already, the eating healthy, the exercising. Um, so I just took more time to do more reflection, to sit, to meditate, to be more grateful. And like you can grow a lot from just being grateful, saying those gratefuls at the end of the day, mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, I have a psychologist, I have a couple of them <laughs> <laughs> that I've been seeing on a regular basis and they have helped me tremendously. And I believe everyone should have a psychologist as part of their, as part of their healthcare team. Mm. Um, so there's definitely been a shift in my mental health for the positive over this time. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure how many people can say that mm -hmm, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to ask you an Oprah kind of question, Okay. which is what is the, what is the, what is at least one thing that you know for sure beyond just like, obviously there's a cycle of life you're born and you eventually, eventually pass. But what is one thing, at least one thing in life that you know for sure? Um, I'm going to tell you my mantra okay one of my mantras that actually i don't even know if i know this <laughs> this is a this is an exclusive guys <laughs> that i like to tell myself 
um, on a regular basis, and that's everything you want in life is on the other side of fear. Hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. Now, I can't take credit for that. I read it somewhere. I don't know who the original quote is by, but when I read that, it just really spoke to me. I think all of us experience a lot of fear, especially over this past year. Um, but it's important to recognize that we're strong enough. Like we're strong enough, if if not individually, to you know reach out our hand to our partners, and collectively we're strong enough to get through what we need to get through. Mm. Well, that's a, just a really great way to sort of end our conversation. Um, I just want to thank you so much again. People don't know, uh, I obviously know Michelle incredibly well and how hard it can be for her to want to just socialize and talk and, and for you to, you know, bring yourself up and, and, and show some courage and, and be vulnerable in our talk. It just speaks volumes about you. And I hope people got a glimpse of or a feeling of why I love you so much. And so thank you for being a part of this conversation. Thank you for letting people in into what you do and how you practice and why you care about people and and letting us into the world of the endocrine system. Uh, it was a lot of fun and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me and I had a lot of fun and... I love you too. Thanks. Dr. Michelle, everybody. So I'm back with, uh, back with the, the main nobody here, Kyle. How did you enjoy that conversation? What were your thoughts? It was good. It was good. I, um, you know, for a bit of context around this episode, I, I was the one that was uncomfortable with this topic. When we initially had started thinking about episodes that we wanted to do, you had brought up this book. Yeah. Uh, and how you wanted to do an episode with it. And I think initially we wanted it just to be the two of us talking about it. And I was a little uncomfortable with that because <laughs> I, could, I could see a scenario where a couple of guys talking about women's monthly cycles um on a podcast could maybe come across if you didn't do it correctly it could come across as maybe mansplaining like periods to women or something and uh so i was i was a little hesitant certainly to to kind of talk about it um and then you came up with the I idea was of the idea i was gonna say i was pretty naive and i was the one who was naive to the optics of that like you had said that and i was thinking no 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 like the people are going to be like you got two men who are being very empathetic trying to understand things and so yeah yeah anyways, I, I just that I could, probably wouldn't have worked out either yeah well it it could have if we had done it very carefully i think and even yeah. if we you know approach the conversation in good faith i think it's easy to come across as you'd be like so th there you go women that's what your periods are all about and, <laughs> you know you're welcome like that i mean yeah. I could, that would look pretty stupid i think so i was uh really happy with how you decided to kind of pursue that conversation with your wife who is a doctor um i thought she did a great job of explaining it you know particularly for me who probably needed a refresher of whatever it is grade five sex ed um on generally how how the body works and what a hormone is and why the endocrine system is important and all that stuff and she did that wonderfully i thought um so i was really really happy with 
with how uh, how you guys were able to have that conversation and be in a space. And your relationship too, I think, really helped kind of foster that conversation. Um, and it was I I actually really enjoyed it. I will say, um, I so I actually really enjoyed the part where she talked in depth about um, being an, uh, a naturopathic doctor and sort of the differences between that and maybe a traditional MD and, and her right. kind of um, motivations for pursuing that. That was nice. My mom owned a health food store when I was growing up. And mm. so we, so a lot of what Michelle said sort of resonated with me. And so I, I really appreciated her uh, contribution from that. And uh, a lot of talk about mucus. <laughs> there was more, uh, more. I did about- not know we were going to go that way. That just, uh, that was Michelle, like, yeah, anyway. But, I mean, it's incredibly, I mean, I don't know, but it seemed pretty helpful to me because a lot of that, really, if you wanted to sort of, if you were a woman and or if I was a woman and wanted to understand a little bit more about my monthly yeah. cycle and maybe some things to look for to understand what part of my cycle I'm in, that's a pretty helpful way to do it. But, oh, man, <laughs> there's a lot of talk about <laughs> mucus. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all in all, I now, you, now you kind of get a feeling of what goes on in our household. Eh? All we talk about is poop and mucus. Oh, it's just mucus like egg whites or whatever. <laughs> I, <Yeah>. <laughs> I had eggs for dinner too. I mean, that's uh, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyways, you know, I don't want to brag. It's pretty easy for me to follow because I have a two-year diploma in kinesiology, and I did have to take, I did yeah. have to take at least two anatomy classes. So I'm wow. basically a doctor. So it was very easy for me to yeah. follow along. So I, I you know, it was, it was probably harder for you. Um, cause you don't totally. have that specific training. I know that like you're a kinesiologist no. and all that stuff, but uh, I went to a pretty prestigious academy. Yeah. So. No, ours was science. I, ours was science-based. I think yours was arts-based. <laughs> Mine Is was that, like, right? Like that. Uh, so my formal diploma. <laughs> so yeah, you definitely have the background. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I don't want to say expert, but my formal diploma is in sport management. So, you know, right. I'll let people yeah. draw their own conclusions on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. All, all kidding aside though, I thought, uh, it was a conversation, that was very informative um, and you guys both came to it from a place of good faith. And I think that, that the result was great. And I, I don't know how to say this, but I'm happy I wasn't there because I think I would have taken away from the conversation a little bit. I think that a lot of it had to do with the rapport that you and your wife have. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, good work, you too. And um, hopefully listeners find it helpful. Yeah. Wasn't it uh, kind of crazy that, uh, what was your experience in high school? And like, was it kind of similar to the way Michelle and I described it? Like you really just didn't learn that much and, definitely like from a hormone standpoint and like also like the separation of like the guys and the girls and I remember yeah. m- much more of my middle school experience with sex ed uh I had a woman teach me sex ed I I do remember that but um it was very much you know sort of the 101 which it should be right I mean that makes sense I don't remember much about it and I don't remember it having a huge impact on the way that I viewed puberty or anything like that but that could also be attributed to the fact that I was in whatever grade six or seven. And I mean, I wasn't paying attention to half my classes in any way. So, um, and then high school, I don't remember really talking about that much at all. I mean, I, you know, I did all my sciences, um, and I don't remember covering that much at all, but that also could be me not paying attention (laughs) in (laughs) class either. So I was pretty ignorant to it. I mean, as I said, I do have formal training. I'm basically a doctor. So, uh, a lot of that, I I do actually remember talking about a lot of that stuff in my anatomy classes and my physiology classes that I did take, mm. and probably passed with fifty point one percent. But 
so that kind of rang a bell, but the way that, uh, that Michelle laid it out was super easy to digest and, um, it just made a lot of sense. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm glad that that worked out and we found the right balance. And I, I, I thought it was a really great conversation. I mean, Michelle and I have obviously talked about this and she's sort of validated things I read in the book and, um, things that maybe are a little bit, maybe not so true or whatever, but for the most part, she found that book, uh, very accurate and sort of aligned with what she learned. And, and so I'm glad that, uh, she was able to make it set, make sense for, for people who didn't understand things. And, and it was also just like really interesting to always hear that a lot of her patients don't, are not even aware of their own cycles, like, and the different phases, right? Like, like I always just thought it was not that it was just the menstrual phase, but like, that was just like a major component of it. But just the fact that every week, like that was the thing that stood out for me yeah. when I first read that book and then obviously talking to Michelle about it. But like every week, like your hormones are changing. Like you and I do not face these challenges at all. Like yeah. we have a stable hormonal profile that, you know, wake up in the day and cortisol's up and your melatonin's down and then, you know, kind of inverses throughout the day and, you know, your testosterone has the same kind of profile and all this stuff. And um, for for women to kind of have that change on a week to week, like, it's just, you know, you just can't help but appreciate your partner even more so and, and, and learn how to learn how to support them and be them with and be there, be there with them and for them, whatever way they need you to, or, you know, so anyway. Sometimes I feel like we got it easy, man. Like that, like to, to sort of always just have basically <laughs> steady hormones and, you know, yeah. there's days where I barely keep it together and I, you know, I don't really have anything to, I don't have any major hormonal shifts throughout the month and I, yeah. I don't know that I could handle it if I if I did uh, personally. So it's it was impressive to sort of hear what what those cycles do and how they impact people and you know what those cycles make women have to deal with on a monthly basis. For sure. I mean, we're crybabies when we get a, this typical cold, right? Like the man cold. Like, <laughs> you know, we're, just we're pretty wimps. Just yeah, huge just wimps. wimps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we were able to do that episode. You are down to pretty much crunch time now for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this, yeah, this will be uh, one of the last episodes. Well, so we have a couple of episodes lined up here that I'll be involved with a little bit, but uh, I'll be taking a bit of a hiatus to kind of focus on family for a bit. And yeah, you know, fingers crossed from here on out, hope things go well. And uh, I'm excited to kind of rejoin the podcast when, uh, when it makes sense for my family. Sounds good. Okay, well, I guess with that, we'll just... Uh, Probably end this conversation now. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you, and salutations. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate you, buddy. Appreciate you. Thanks a lot. See you. Bye. Bye.